0: This is the Intentional Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Damo. Today, I've got Chris Curwin on representing Irreverent Warriors for a conversation about what he did during his time in the service and then transitioning away from that and then into what Irreverent Warriors is doing for the veteran community and some lessons that you as a business owner can implement inside of your business. So let's get started. So Chris, thanks for coming on. Um, We were having a great conversation beforehand and literally just said, we probably should be recording some of this. So I appreciate you doing a tactical pause on that so we could uh, be adults and get this thing recorded, man. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. really appreciate it, Mike. So let's go through a little bit about how we got to this point, just to give a little bit of context for folks that are listening in here. So Uh, I know that you were in the reserves, um, similar to how I was, definitely going to be a different MOS based on what you're talking about. So why'd you join the military? What'd you end up doing? And what's that whole story?
1: Yeah. So I I joined the United States Marine Corps in 2011 and my mom and dad are both Marines. Mom was a staff sergeant. She did nine years back in the 80s. And then dad was a gunnery sergeant. He did uh, 12 years in the 80s and early 90s. And I uh, just have a long family history of military service, and when I was finishing high school in 2010 and just kind of trying to figure out what I want to do in my future, I was really unsure, um, didn't really know what I was good at yet, and we were in the middle of a war effort, and I said, you know, let's, you know, let's go be a Marine and, and see what that's about, and, and um, so I did that. Uh, I joined in 2011, went to basic, all that good stuff. Um, came back to my reserve unit and then, in uh, let's see, late 2012, uh, volunteered for deployment, made it on a deployment for Afghanistan, in 2013, uh, deployed with CLB six combat logistics battalion six, uh, out of camp June. Mm-hmm. Um, and then while I was there, so I, I was a telecommunications Marine by trade, but, uh, when I was when you're called from reserve uni or reserve duty to uh, to active duty, you kind of, they, they call it the jockstrap of the Marine Corps. You basically just doing whatever you can to support the element. Yep. Um, and that for me meant mostly radio operations in all of our trucks. I was embedded into a uh, transportation, transportation support company. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was embedded in the company, which, and being a communications guy, they basically said, learn how to use this radio and, So i did and um so i did i got probably the easiest job because you know everybody expects comms to fail so um yeah so basically um i would set up i had every intention of communications working i'd set it all up it all worked when we left the fob but you know throughout the, the convoy and stuff we'd go over hills we'd go over mountains and dust ups and everything else would cause uh failures but Anyways, like during convoy operations, I was an extra pack in the, the convoy, the assistant convoy commander's vehicle. I was pretty much the right-hand man for the lead corpsman. So anytime we were responding to IDs or anything like that, I was always out there with him, um, which wasn't too terribly often. We went through a lot of, a lot of the, uh, we went from Dw- from Leatherneck to Dwyer a lot. And there's a lot of waddies in there and we always had EOD and, they would do control debts a lot. So we, we managed to not get blown up a whole lot because we had good EOD in front of us. Um, But that being said, you know, loads shifted refueling vehicles, all sorts of stuff. Uh, Vehicles would get broken. I'd be just doing whatever I could to support the element. So Um, came back in December of that year, uh, went back in reserve duty pretty much threw my MOS out the window and just did whatever I could do, fill billets within a communications company here in Greensboro, my hometown. Um, Got out in 2017. Yep. That's six years, 2017. (laughs) And in the the meanwhile, on act on reserve duty, I was uh, working as a network engineer at a local tobacco company. Um, Got married, bought a house, all that good stuff was trying to do whatever was typical of a civilian uh tried to try to fit back in you know mm-hmm. try to reintegrate as they try to tell people to do so
0: yeah that that's always the uh complicated part now you said you're on the telecom side so MOS school um 29 palms or no 29 Palms. so funny story about that one so i thought and I joined the difference of 10 years, I joined before nine eleven, And from where I am in Connecticut, there's all the major airports in New York, uh, Westchester, New York. Um, I could go up to Bradley for that one. And the recruiter told me, because I did decently on the ASVAB, yeah, you could do whatever job you want. And I was like, well, air traffic control sounds like a dope idea. I was thinking 19 years old, making a hundred grand back then. Like this is going to be sweet. And it turns out that they only actually give you the first two of your four digit MOS. So I thought I was going to be an air, air traffic controller. I go to my reserve unit and meet Staff Sergeant Frazier from West Virginia, has a horseshoe in. And, you know, am 18 years old. I'm all excited. Hey, staff sergeant, Mike Dima, I'm going to be one of your air traffic controllers. And he looked at me and was like, air traffic controller, you know, I'm right into the spitter. Yeah. We ain't gotten of those around here. Uh, you're going to be an air support operator. I'm like what the hell do I know about this? Like t- this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I my recruiter MOS school? Yeah. My, well, no, this is beforehand. So I got to go up to meet my reserve unit ahead of time. Oh, strange. Okay. Um, up in a uh, chickpea, Massachusetts. So, and i'm like nah my recruiter told me mm. you know the internet was still That's a little bit new back then like there That's weren't the sites thing. that would tell you about that but, <laughs> so i figured out how full of crap my recruiter was um after i did um you know basic combat training and you have to go into the different lines for the different bus to take you to the airport to go where you're going to go and Air traffic control school is in Pensacola. This is in March of 2001. I'm thinking I'm going to be in Pensacola oh, spring yeah. break. This is going to be dope. I got my orders packet. I was like, excuse me, Sergeant. What's 29 Palms? And the laugh that I got really was disheartening.
1: Yeah.
0: Was like, oh. that, that was, way to start. Yeah, that wasn't a good, <laughs> that wasn't a good look. So. Yeah, I ended up having to go to 29 Palms and like, I love what I did, you know, because the air support operations center is basically the hub between air and ground. So like if you were on convoy duty, you were probably reaching out. I don't know if it was on 35.5, one of the HF frequencies, or you had your, I mean, we still had prick 119s, I think, but like you're trying to green reach ones? out on, what's up? The green ones, the, big, the big green ones back on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like we, like a lot of what I did was making sure in Iraq, the convoys were getting the support they needed, um, you know, cause I controlled all the airspace. So it's interesting when you talk about comms being down, it's not a simple process, especially if you're using the higher frequency radios, like they're just going to moonshot up, but they're not going to get out the way you need them to. Yeah. So yeah, it's, you know, for those listening at home, one, when you hear military grade, that's not exactly a Good thing a lot of the time, but also it's amazing how much you can do with such little quality tech. Yeah, um, like we would do radio shots from Ramadi where I was all the way back to San Diego, which was the other half of my unit, and just using regular speaker wire basically to make an antenna. So like, there's all this high speed Air Force stuff, and then there's like the Marine Corps stuff. Yeah. Um, for what that's worth and like on my second deployment you know the same thing one of those hodgepodge security units um they shipped us over to Djibouti, and you're not doing your primary mos by any stretch so dude, that that makes total sense like hey how can i be you know how can i be the utility infielder what do you need me to do right so and that's you know one of the things because we all have a basic skill set and i think that'll tie in with irreverent warriors like we all have that basic called indoctrination at boot camp. Like we all have a common core, common ethos. And then it's like, all right, I have some specialized training, but what can I do to help you? You know, mission accomplishment being the end, the end goal here. So it sounds like your transition out, you just did your, you did your six and you punched out. Um, You had what sounds like a decent job. What was that transitioning? Like when you got your DD 214 and you just, weren't in the core anymore
1: so for about the first year um you know felt okay i think uh it really started to settle in about a year to 18 months after that a lot of the doubt a lot of the anxiety of trying to reintegrate and realizing that it's it's not what you thought it was. Um, you know, you stay in contact with the people you depended on for a while. Um, and it kind of gives you that sense of, okay, I'm still, yeah, I still have my security blanket. I still have the people that that really cared about me when I was at my most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, life goes on and we don't necessarily separate, but you know how it is. You meet a lot of people in the military. You, You, I mean, we were talking about it beforehand, you know, you, you meet a couple of guys and you go out in town, you have a good time and you make some really good relationships. And then like a month later, whether you were at a class together or something like that, it's over and you might not ever see him again for the rest of your life. Um, and so that's kind of how it was for me where, you know, I just continued on with my life and some of the ones that were more important to me that maybe still lived in town or, something like that, they would, you know, reach out to me. But I really felt pretty alone. The, I mean, the military, the the Marine Corps, I I was a reservist, right? So, Mm -hmm. but um, I like to tell people I wasn't your typical reservist because I spent a lot of time on active orders, whether it was working at the reserve center, uh, going on special details. I did a lot of funeral services. So I was at the reserve center all the time. Yeah, that's a um, lot of TAD. Right. I, I mean, well, because the money was okay too. Um, I was going to school. So having the extra money from doing a funeral service or getting some extra orders, whatever it was, I was always trying to do that. Um, so I was constantly at the reserve unit. And so it, having one foot in and one foot out of military and civilian all the time um, really made it hard for me to kind of give a clean break um so you know not to uh not to say it was anything like active duty other than the time that I spent in Afghanistan but there was still an element of you know the mindset still being turned on um and that sort of thing and so that being said uh, you know I really started to get um to a place where I really missed the camaraderie I really missed the community and I would try to fill that void with different organizations, whether it was like the Marine Corps league or, um, some small veteran outings, but none of it really felt, none of it really felt, uh, the way, none of it really filled the void, um, to be, to be, you know, simple about it. Um, in in 2014, I didn't add in 2014, um, we lost a friend, David West, to suicide. He was at my my unit here in Greensboro. And then in 2015, also lost a friend, John Burnell, who's buried up in the Massachusetts Nashville Cemetery. Hmm. Um, and so especially after I got out and kind of looking back, you know, you it was the typical case of the high school senior who graduates and then shows up at the dance the next year, you know, just trying to relive something that makes them feel, you know, like they're from the past, you know, I, I just, I was grasping at straws trying to make, you know, because I walked away from something that I was pretty good at too. You know, I, um, I made a lot of friends. Uh, my underlings really looked up to me. Um I was able to make a good impact. I felt like in the places that I was at and the people that I met, Um, and you know, walking away from something that you're good at is never easy. And then it's such a big part of your life, especially with my mom and dad both being Marines. And then also simultaneously, after I get out, you know, like you know, Afghanistan drew, drew down and we got out of Afghanistan, and and I mean last year during the um what happened in Kabul I mean just all that stuff just really affected me in a bad way and, and just made me feel like I didn't do enough you know I didn't stay in long enough I didn't make the impact that I wanted um I started to question whether I was making an impact at all whether any of it mattered yep. um and, and so all that really to say that the transition was not as easy as I, as it probably should have been being a reservist living half of my life in the civilian side. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty tough transition and it still is, it's probably always going to be. And that's why, that's why I have the Reverend warrior family. It's, you know, they're always going to be there.
0: Yeah. I went through some stuff similar to that. Um, so I was in Ramadi, Iraq when I was over in 0405, and seeing ISIS in the town that like we'd work so hard to clear, seeing them in Fallujah, seeing like all these areas that like we'd done so much for, you know, and we're like I had good tactical situational awareness, strategic not as much, you know, that comes later with experience. And to your point is just like why two decades? Why didn't we have a plan like? The stuff that happened last year in Afghanistan, like I ended up, you know, senior sergeant and when I have to do an exercise plan, there's contingencies that like, you have to be able to see the entire picture and like, there's a plan made for it. And it was just, it was a clown show of wait, so you you didn't think that would happen. Right. And like, what, like, what was the point of all of it? To your point. And I went through that when Iraq was getting hit so hard by ISIS, like, like what, what what are we doing here? Like what, what's the point to your point? So like, that's probably a great transition to what a reverent warrior does. Cause I remember how pissed off I was and I definitely did not have the coping skills I have now to um, go through that stuff. Um, you know, I went towards, you know, something, substance, anger, and just like vitriol. And it was like, that, that's not good. It's not healthy. And I don't like where I am when I feel that way. So sure. Let, let's talk a little bit about irreverent warriors. Why did it get created? What's going on? You know, whether it's the Greensboro branch, or I know that there's a bunch nationwide. Yeah. Like, what are y'all doing and what's the goal?
1: So. Reverend Warriors started back in 2015, and depending on who you ask, they can say it—you know—started on accident. Almost uh, a guy named Donnie O'Malley, who actually uh, runs Vet TV, he is the one who actually started Reverend Warriors. He had the first hike out in San Diego, I believe, and, um, and basically he just got fed up. You know, he just saw people taking their own lives and just um, making irreversible mistakes and he said what can we and he's like he's a really fit guy uh and I think that kind of played into it where he was like let's let's get together and let's just rock you know let's uh go out let's have fun let's let's walk together do something physical something to exercise the brain and the body and um that's kind of how it was born and it kind of we had a, a rough couple first years as far as transitioning from what kind of looked like a drunken mob to (laughs) what looks like now is just an organization built and and, um, that has a base of love, acceptance, camaraderie, and then the irreverence portion as well. Um, I mean, our, our mission statement is we bring veterans together using humor and camaraderie improve mental health and prevent veteran suicide and so the silky hikes are that's our main event that's what what we really all year were at least a good portion of the year planning for uh and that's our kind of culminating event each uh each hike is its own nucleus its own chapter so greensboro is a chapter of Reverend warriors so is raleigh and charlotte and everybody else and so That being said, we have over 90 of those chapters, Um, so we have over 90, and each each chapter has its own local coordinator and its own local team, and then there's districts and national coordinators as well that are helping to police uh, each hike to make it successful, and and so that's that's how we got started. Um, A lot of people ask about that. A reverence portion that's probably the two two main questions i get is why silkies and why irreverence well
0: because silkies i mean
1: because silkies are awesome
0: i mean i'd look a little bit like jack mandeville in mine right now but it's okay know, it's all good i
1: if, if you go <laughs> if you go to their their instagram page you're gonna see some some funny stuff the first hike in fort lauderdale was last weekend and i saw i saw some things I didn't go, but I mean, I saw videos and stuff and, and every time it's just hilarious. I mean, it just doesn't matter what you look like, you know, it's just a great time, but, uh, and that's kind of another thing too, is the funny. Okay. So let me talk about the silkies. So (laughs) why silkies? Because they're hilarious. Um, because it's a, it's an attention getter and an icebreaker. You're walking down the street as a mob of veterans wearing silkies. People are going to look and that's your opportunity to say, Hey, I'm from Reverend warriors. We're out here meeting to prevent veteran suicide. And you hand them a card and that card points into our website and tells them a little bit about our mission. And that grants us an opportunity to be able to talk about it. Some people are like, Hey, thanks for the card. Other people are like, how can we get involved? And, or, I didn't know that there was such a problem with veteran suicide. And so it just is a great icebreaker for us to be able to meet and talk to our communities. Uh, And it makes us different, makes us stand out too. Mm. So the irreverence portion, irreverence is defined as a lack of respect for people or things that are generally taken seriously. So if, if that was in our mission statement and it's, and people were to look that definition up and attach it to what we do, they'd probably say, this doesn't really sound like something I want to be a part of. Well, what you have to understand is that the irreverence relates to the kind of dark humor and the kind of things that we <laughs> joke about and the the kind of mentality that we have towards whatever it is that we're working on, because you're going to go through things in the military and in life that are going to suck really bad, yep. but it's all about the perspective the people that you have going through it with you. And that's why we build such strong bonds is because we can sit here and joke about how bad 29 palms is. And all of a sudden it's kind of like, we're reliving a good memory, you know, like walking past, uh, that lake that smelled so bad.
0: In the spring is a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. Right. (laughs) And so it's like that irreverence taking something so serious, like veteran suicide and almost diluting it using using humor to dilute it allows us to be able to break down barriers with veterans create vulnerability and allow veterans to open up and feel like they can talk about whatever it is because we can make light of it and it offers us the ability to be able to um spread a little joy you know like with the the humor um it releases uh Uh, was it endorphins in your brain Mm -hmm. to be able to um, adjust the situations better. And it's something that a lot of um, civilian organizations don't really understand, Mm -mm. you know, when they're talking to a veteran and they just want to make a joke about everything. It's because that's how we cope.
0: Yeah. They're doing it, it. They're doing it in a lot of ways because they feel uncomfortable Yeah, and they don't, And I've dealt with this on the corporate side with the executive board that I'm on uh, for veterans where all of the other groups are very serious and they're like uptight. They don't want to offend anybody. Right. What they don't understand a lot of times is like, we're all family. Like you and I, we essentially met face to face for the first time today. Yeah. And we already have common values to an extent we already have common purpose mission we understand each other in some ways even though we've never had an in-depth conversation because we have culture right and a lot of that culture comes with ball breaking i mean there's something about like seeing somebody as a family member where it'd be just like you and your brothers you know giving each other crap yeah but the only reason you can do that is because you respect that person tremendously. Right. Like a lot of people see the humor and like, how can you like, you know, especially with such serious topics, how can you be so like, it might come across as nonchalant. And how can you be, you know, having all these jokes is like, well, that's, that's what you do with family. Right. Like, and I think we were talking about it beforehand, but is if you run a business, you know, big or small, if you can enculturate your people to a common mission, common shared identity, you can be all the different types of people in the world, but you have a locus to come back to where there's a shared identity, there's a shared culture. And I think that's a lot of what you guys do is you bring that back for people. And it's almost like a reintegration to family, it sounds like
1: it is and it's a it's a way for us to heal too and you know the, i'm i'm not i might not be able to get to a hike before my own in july and it it's killing me inside like i this last weekend i saw in fort lauderdale i was like man i wish i could get to a hike soon you know because you really there's they call it the post hike blues it's almost like man it was it's like a coming down off a high almost like you just mm-hmm. it's so much fun coming down off of it you just you want to keep going to hikes and you want to keep hanging out with these folks because it's such an experience. And, uh, that's kind of, we really work hard to create a very delicate and a very valuable ecosystem within the hike. Um, the kind of things that we do to try and make sure that new people are seen and brought in, you know, like one of the things that I can think of right on top of my head is everybody gets a wristband when you check in Okay, and, um, if you are new, it's your first one, you get one that says VIP. Okay. And and if you're wearing a VIP wristband, you, everyone's told, if you see somebody with a VIP wristband, go talk to them, make them feel welcome. And like, so for our hike, something we're going to do is we're going to get a deck of cards, a couple of decks of cards, and you have to go find the other person with a matching card and go talk to them, make a relationship with them. It's kind of like
0: a poker run
1: yeah sure yeah um but so we do those things as well and and during the hikes you know we we have stops like for ours we'll be having stops where we play games there's other stops at restaurants or bars and so we give people an opportunity to to mingle and to be able to um talk and, and share different experiences and so it's it's a really fun experience to be on one of these hikes so and, and the good thing too is that we have over ninety hikes yep um, we have four hikes that are outside the country uh, that we' we're, we're slowly spreading internationally so we're we're going to be an international organization uh, because you know veteran suicide is not singular to the
0: united states no i I've, I've got buddies that were royal engineers um things, like they're going through a lot of the same things because you know talking about a global shared sacrifice even the tongan marines i was with back in five, like we're a part of something thought we we're doing something really good and then you see how it ends and it's like we never got beat but we lost yeah and i mean ironically you know when you talk about on your uh, deck here about you know non-gwap people some of the older generation their rates are even higher mm-hmm. like Uncomfortable fact, we've been undefeated on the battlefield going back to World War I, but we haven't won a war since World War Two. Sure. So, yeah, they,
1: the veteran popu- the Vietnam population, and the GWOP population are killing themselves at the highest rate. Um, I think the issue with the older generation is um, there aren't as many outlets for them, I think. And that's something that we're trying to break down as well. These hikes, they used to be like, they used to go a full 22 kilometers. We've made it shorter. We've added more stops and we've added a slower pace. And we've added ways for older veterans to be able to come out. Like we're working, we're an idea that we have, we haven't shorted up yet, but we're going to try and find a way to maybe get some golf carts or some sort of way for some older veterans who want to come out. Uh, and they can just kind of drive behind the convoy uh, or behind the element to be able to jump from stop to stop with us and hang out with us. And so, and and then throughout the year too, you know, something this year they push really hard at the conference. We, we can't prevent veteran suicide one day of the year. And so we have events like we have one coming up on March 5th. It's going to be a social at one of the stops that we're going to have a local bar called joy and people can come out and meet us. And that's, that's for civilians. That's for um, veterans, military, active, whatever. And that's just whoever wants to come and meet us. We're going to be there and we're going to hang out. Uh, and and then we have a, a camping trip in April, May. We'll probably do a game night, you know, so we're trying to create other ways for all veterans of all generations to come and hang out with us. Uh, we had a great event last year for our, for veterans day. And we had, GWAT, we had um Gulf War, Cold War, I mean everybody. So um we've done a good job, I think, about spreading spreading our base as well.
0: No, I like what you're talking about with the um like even if it's like the safety vehicles, if you can get even if it's not a tactical vehicle, some for some of those other folks. Cause I remember when I got back from Iraq, I went to my local Marine Corps league and it was all Vietnam era pilots, uh, Huey pilots. It was a weird thing. There's like 30 people there, and like, seems every one of them flew. It was weird. And like, I got to listen to some really cool stories, but there's no relation there because it was just so different. So it's really cool on the inverse side trying to get some of these folks back into the fold, you know, especially since a lot of them demographically now have probably not been going out as much because of the stuff over the last two years. Yeah,
1: that's also true. And and, I mean, we, we don't even know the numbers that I showed you were from 2001 to 2019. And that was Mm -hmm. a study released by the VA last late last year. So it looks like every year that they release it, they're about two years behind on the data. Yep. And so, I mean, we won't know for another year or two what our COVID numbers look like. And and, I mean, it's, it's going to be ugly, but. I mean, we just know isolation is everything that we're trying to prevent, and COVID is what drew everybody into isolation. So,
0: yeah, that's um, the biggest thing I've with like opening stuff back up that I was talking about. It's like we're we're gonna lose more people from the second order and third order effects than we are from the primary effect, and you know, it's that's an uncomfortable conversation. Is hey, if you look at the math, like we know who we need to protect in this. But like all these other people, we like you need to get them back out, you know. Between
1: well, it's like they say the. Uh, I'm trying to remember what they said. Basically, the keeping us in is is gonna is not gonna be able to solve the issue as much as. How does it go? I can't remember who said it. it basically, was, you know, you're gonna kill more people by leaving us in then taking us out and putting us back out. Yeah. I can't remember the quote.
0: But I mean it's just factual. I mean between the poverty because of all the small businesses going down like there's a decline in the mortality and life expectancy tables for younger folks especially. So like we've we've created dominoes that we're not going to notice fall until 2050. And, yeah.
1: And, and, and the younger generations the, and that statistic too, that are taking, that are, you know, committing suicide. It's a lot of it is because we've, we've learned or we've lived in a generation where isolation is almost like uh, glorified, you know, the online epidemic and everybody wanting to basically live online and uh, not go out and do things that are, are good for your body and your, and your mind. Um, a lot of, a lot of them, they, they find their self-worth and things that are, uh, not tangible. Yeah. Not tangible. and, And eventually they'll run up. And when they do a lot of times they're like, okay, well, if I don't have that, then I'm not anything. And, and so there's, there's that problem as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's why I bought my house here where I did is there's a, I mean, it's almost a thousand acre state park right across the street. And I want my kid to be able to get out there, like do some hikes with me and actually get reconnected with nature. Cause that for me, like one of my favorite things when I was in the core was when you're doing field exercises and like you're up at say five and it's quiet, you know, you're out in the woods, birds chirping, like that nice crisp feeling in the air. And like, you just feel so connected with everything around you. And then, you know, Get up because you know at some point you're going to the rifle range or you're doing something else. But like just that ability to feel connected and like doing something active is it's a massive health benefit. So I mean that that's awesome. So where Chris can people find not just for Greensboro but for their local area? How can they find a way to get connected and? another more personal question is you know i'm old core comparatively they didn't issue silkies at first so in boot camp we got the ones were like yeah they look like swim trunks with the little liner yeah Um, yeah is that acceptable or is it only the uh tactical daisy dukes
1: you can wear whatever you want truthfully um (laughs) if you want to find some silkies simper silkies is a good one uh huggies is another big one it's hilarious or, thigh huggers is what it is okay <laughs> clearly i'm a dad of a young child um <laughs> thigh huggers is what it is um so yeah those two and then you could probably go on like amazon and find some like really basic ones like green black uh navy but uh if you want some that are, are and also reverend warrior sells her own silkies as well and so does vet tv Solid. So those are also a couple of good sites to go to.
0: Sweet. And so if they want somebody wanted to do one of the local hikes, is it just a warriors.com or yep. like on Reverend, the socials?
1: Reverendwarriors.com forward slash events or just go to their main page and look for the events tab. And then for social media, pretty much every single one has their own Facebook page or Facebook group. Uh, and it's just IW space dash space and then the city Uh, or if you're having trouble finding one, just go to the main Reverend warriors page, follow it, like it, whatever. And then comment, say I'm living in X, Y, Z area. Where can I join a hike? And then somebody there's like over 30,000 people in this group. So um, somebody will let you know where there's one close by.
0: No, that's awesome. I appreciate it. And just side note, yeah, not a paid sponsor at all, but even if you're not a vet, if you want to get an understanding for our sense of humor, Vet TV is one of the best follows you can possibly do. It is hysterical. Yeah, there's a lot of irreverence in Vet,
1: in vet TV. I've, I've never personally watched, but I've watched some, some clips and stuff like that. I don't, unfortunately, I don't get to watch a lot of TV, but yeah, Donnie does a good job. Don't I want to watch I his series clips. about um. Let's Talk About the War. I've been seeing clips about that and and I'm almost tempted to, to get a subscription for a month or so to watch that. And he, he, he interviews some really, um, some really important folks that were there during, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq who really saw it up close and personal to give their account of, of what, what was going on there and, and what kind of went wrong and, um, So yeah, that was uh, something I I wanted to see.
0: Yeah, I think we're on the same page. So I'll wrap wrap it up here because I know we both have to fly. So a reverent warrior, uh, check it out. Even if you're not in the military, take a look at what they have going on because one of the things that the military community does better than the civilian community is enculturation and having a sense of harmony among a complete spectrum of people and having that common mission and being able to work together very well, regardless of the external factors. So if you're not in the military, it's worth checking out. If you are, you already know Uh, it's a great way to re yourself with uh, your brothers and sisters. So Chris, much appreciated men. Um, I look forward to having some more conversations with you about this one especially with some of the Northeast ones popping off once it's not eight degrees outside.
1: Yeah, definitely. Go to the New York city hike.
0: If I'm allowed in there, they, they've got rules. Well, uh, they do. We'll talk about that another time. Okay. <laughs> All take right. Take Thanks. Appreciate you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.